So what's it take to run away with a circus? Did you know that there's a world-class circus arts training center right here in the city? The Las Vegas Circus Center offers instruction on traditional and some buck-wild apparatus for all comers. Of course, the circus isn't all fun and games, and today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with acclaimed acrobat Scott McDonald, both instructor and student at the center, who tells us about the path and challenges associated with the pursuit of circus arts. It's an intriguing conversation about a hidden gem in Las Vegas, and I promise, clowning around will be held to a minimum. It's Wednesday, May 3rd. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Acrobat Scott McDonald, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And we're curious about this thing out there called the Las Vegas Circus Center. Um, Let me just ask you straight up. How does someone use the Las Vegas Circus Center to prepare to run away with the circus? (laughs) Well, I would say it's definitely the best place you could do that in the country, if not the world. Wow. There are a handful of circus schools around the world that people attend. Uh, Las Vegas Circus Center is not that kind of facility, but it is a place that has a lot of classes taught by professional performers, either current or former from the top tier of shows, plenty of Olympians, like the equipment, the facility, the coaches are all top notch. And I feel like beyond even just those aspects of it, a huge aspect of getting into the entertainment industry, whether it's stunts, circus, acting is networking. And this is the place where everybody trains. So If you want to meet people who are in Cirque du Soleil or any kind of show like that, that's where you go. Yeah. Bumping elbows. Um, Yeah, very much so. What sort of skills can we learn or refine over there? A lot. Um, Any form of aerial thing, which would be something where a performer is hanging or rather the equipment is hanging and the performers are doing, I don't know, aerial silks, straps, hoop, whatever. Uh, Hanging out for dear life, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But elegantly and gracefully. Um, Trampoline, tramp Mm. wall, flying trapeze, Chinese pole, uh, sear wheel. There are a few other pieces of equipment that don't have ongoing classes, but they are there. So depending on sort of your qualifications or situation, maybe you'd be allowed to use them. Um, There's a spring floor. So if you were tumbling or doing some form of gymnastics or cheerleading type flips on the ground, you could do that. There are four regular size trampolines and one massive super tramp, as well as a power track that is basically a long strip of very tight, bouncy trampoline leading into a foam pit. So you can train things and land safely without necessarily the same risk as you would have going to a solid surface at first. And juggling props, unicycles, stilts, there's, even parkour classes, there are a ton of things there. Parkour. I yeah. um, I, I imagine that everything is done safely and with supervision, et cetera. But I'm also envisioning a very chaotic scene with people <laughs> running by on unicycles and bouncing through the air. And almost like uh, if anyone's been to the to the love show, when everyone is just <laughs> kind of flying at one time, that kind of chaos. Is that is that a visual that one might see there, even though safely? 
Oh, uh, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, controlled chaos. You know, uh, a big part of what we do is being safe and consistent with your own equipment and with regards to others. It's also a big factor in performing. A really big sort of rookie mistake when auditioning is to try and throw the biggest, craziest thing you can think of. And that often actually dissuades a casting agent from hiring you because you become a liability. You get kind of seen as reckless or a loose cannon. So when you're training, it's the same thing. You don't want to just throw things willy nilly and hope that there's nobody in your way. It's very much a calculated risk anytime you go in the air. Why do you think circus culture and Las Vegas are so connected to each other? Purely, in my opinion, at least because of how many different shows we have, whether they are ostensibly circus shows or a different type of show that has elements of circus. You know, Las Mm. Vegas is so synonymous with entertainment. We have dozens upon dozens of different types of performances and shows and even things that on the surface, do not appear to be circus. For example, Lost Spirits Distillery, uh, the Mayfair Supper Club, things like that. There's circus in there. There are people doing contortion acts, aerial acts, handstands, all types of things. Even concerts here. Um, Pink recently did the iHeartRadio live performance, and she had Tramp Wall as a big featured part of it. Uh, Katy Perry has had elements of circus in some of her tours and performances. Taylor Swift as well. Yeah. So one day you're working out in Las Vegas Circus Center. Next day you're in a Drake video. (laughs) Quite possibly, you know, believe it or not, quite possibly. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to even the further back in history when the ultra lounges first kind of started, places like Studio 54 came on the scene here. There were always aerialists floating around. Uh, Going back even um, further than that, you would see uh, a lot of the specialty shows and they'd have these very specialty acts. It seemed very circusy to me. And that connection just keeps going back and back. I mean, we even have a circus circus. <laughs> well, circus circus, of course, uh, which has those uh, still live circus acts every day, I believe. Yep, I think so. And I mean, I believe Cirque du Soleil, they opened Mystere as their first resident show here. But even before that, they had a show, a tent show in the parking lot of the Mirage, almost as a sort of proof of concept. And since then, it's just become part of the landscape. Yeah, uh, I guess they are entwined forever. So so tell me about the people uh, who you've trained over at the Circus Center. What, what are they looking for? Mm, all sorts of things. Um, I currently coach a few different people as an ongoing thing. And one of them is a sports karate competitor. So even though that doesn't seem like circus, it's another thing where you can embellish what you're doing with acrobatics. So let's say you're doing some kind of jump kicks and punches and so on it looks a lot cooler and a lot more like you're in an action movie or you're a ninja or something if you're doing a flip into it than if you just kind of waltz around chopping style, at the air. style points for sure yeah, right absolutely yeah. um you get people who want to learn handstands and hand balancing that's a very interesting small subculture of people who whether it's because they just grew up watching movies and wanted to emulate what they saw A lot of people want to learn flips. A lot of people want to learn to do handstands. Acro yoga is another really big one. I think the prevalence of social media has kind of pushed that towards all types of people. But yeah, you get people from all different walks of life. You sometimes see celebrities in there who are here on tour and they just want to go in and try out some trapeze or something like that. You really never know what you're going to meet. 
You've also taken classes there. What what kind of classes interest you? For me, the big one was Russian Swing. Uh, it was an apparatus. So just to kind of give you a visual of what a Russian Swing entails. Yeah. If you imagine a large swing set, but instead of a flexible chain and a small little thing that you sit on, it's two or rather four fixed poles connecting to almost like a snowboard sized platform. And you swing around on that. Typically, it's used to launch people into the air and do flips, either into water or into a curtain or a crash mat. So if you've seen O, they use Russian Swing to dive into the pool there and do really huge, spectacular things. What I'm using it for, though, is to go all the way around it, kind of like that childhood dream of swinging the swing set over the bar um, and doing different kind of skateboarding and extreme sports influenced hand plants and grabs and jumps and just various things like that. So that was something that I got the opportunity to take classes in and really fell in love with it. And uh, I actually put together an act for it today that I'm proposing to a show. So we'll see how that goes. Wow. So just kind of started maybe for funsies or just because, just yep. because, and now it's turned into something potentially viable as an act in Las Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's how for me, at least, all of this started. I wanted to just do flips and things because I thought they were cool. And eventually it became a thing where I realized, oh, I am actually at a somewhat performable level now. So may as well go audition for some shows and hopefully eventually get in and eventually did. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Do the audition opportunities that exist in Las Vegas, do they float by that training facility? And how do people kind of react when those things happen? Oh, yeah, very much so. There are a lot of auditions at the gyms in Vegas, specifically Las Vegas Circus Center. And these can be for shows that are in town. These can be shows that are external. For example, um, SeaWorld used to have Cirque de la Mer, which eventually got rebranded as Cirque Electrique. Very often they would hold auditions in Las Vegas, as well as a few other cities around the country. Uh, a friend of mine just got hired for SeaWorld Abu Dhabi from an audition that I believe was at Las Vegas Circus Center. Uh, a few friends of mine have a production company that does shows across the country, specifically Florida, very often for 
sort of holiday shows. They held an audition there last week. And I think if you were someone who wanted to get into professional performing, the best thing you could do is attend as many auditions as possible. You network like crazy because all the other people who are in the same boat as you are going to be there. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. And you've been in uh, quite a few on the strip. Um, mm-hmm. You want to rattle off the shows that you've been in? All right. Uh, on the strip, besides random corporate events, I began my career with Cirque du Soleil performing for Chris Angel back when his show was part of the Cirque umbrella. Sure. Uh, the extended then, family. Yeah, exactly. I transferred over to Beatles Love to be a trampolinist for a while. I wound up when I finished my contract there, I went back to Chris Angel, but no longer with Cirque du Soleil. At that point, he had transferred over to his own private entity at yeah. Planet Hollywood. And then at some point, I went back over to run at the Luxor, which was in our old theater from Chris Angel. I unfortunately a, a short lived Cirque show. Very short lived indeed. And so was my ankle at that Ooh. point. So I wound up having a bit of an injury and did not wind up actually performing in the show. I rehearsed and that was that. And then the pandemic came along and axed run permanently, as well as a few other shows. And then post pandemic resumed performing with Chris Angel back over at Planet Hollywood. So that's where I am now. And that's where I'll be in about six hours. All right, I'm going to make the old man pun here that you're literally bouncing around. Yep, very much oh, so. Boy. And that's very, very, very common in this industry. You know, a lot of people join a show because there's a temp contract available. Maybe someone who is part of the show has been injured or they leave on maternity leave. There are all sorts of different reasons things like this could happen. So you might do a three-month stint here and then go back to being freelance or perhaps transfer over to another place. Basically, wherever there's something that needs filling, why not be the person to fill it? So all this sounds like a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, but I'd imagine also the worries about injuries is always there. And you just mentioned that, you know, you injured your ankle. Uh, I also know you participated in a seminar recently at the Circus Center involving circus medicine. Tell me about that. Yeah, me and two colleagues own a medical research company. And we, through our own personal experiences with, you know, injury is a part of life. If you're doing something that's high risk, it doesn't have to be a show. It usually would be something that would happen in training rather than on stage. Um But we just wanted to try to promote and foster a little more communication and understanding between the medical world and the performance world. Because if you think about a lot of other high-level sporting bodies, whether it's the UFC, the NFL, whatever, they have very clear data and very clear patterns in the injuries that happen, You know, whether it's a concussion, a torn ACL, whatever it is. It's more simple to understand what's happening in these more commonly understood sports, whereas circus being a very nebulous, big umbrella of different disciplines, there's a lot of different things that can happen, whether it's a minor thing like you're a a juggler and your club comes down and hits you on the end of the finger. That does not feel nice or something more major. Like in my case, I've had my sear wheel, which is basically a large metal hoop that I spin around in and do, I don't know, flowy things in falling on the back of my head and splitting it open, which is a pretty bad concussion and also requires staples or stitches to put you back together. Things like that, you know, 
if you walk into an ER and you say, hey, a seer wheel fell on me, they're just going to kind of blink at you. That isn't really adequate for what we need with our jobs and our bodies are our paychecks, really. You know, most shows you get paid by the show. So if you get injured, eh, not so great for you. Yeah. And I'm guessing that not all the shows in town have the best um, insurance coverage for all of their employees, although I imagine some do. It depends. Uh, mm. I would say Cirque du Soleil do a really, really great job of trying to take care of their employees, whether it's having an on-site group of people who will monitor what's going on or their own insurance, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, but in some smaller cases, whether it's in Vegas or elsewhere, there might not be any insurance. There might not be anyone on hand to take care of injuries. And when you're doing things that can be actual risk of death at some points, depending on what it is, yeah, it would be nice to have some of that liability there. I'm also wondering if circus performers have shorter careers than other professional athletes because of all this. Possibly. It depends on what you do. There are some things that are more inherently impactful than others, and there are some things that you could pretty much do from till any age. Um, for example, certain clowning acts. Uh, Mystere had a clown who was getting quite up there somewhere in his 80s, I believe, before he decided to go on and do whatever he wants to do now. Um, yeah. I would say that the average age of performers in a lot of these shows is around 30, which is a lot older than you might expect. But these skills typically take a very long time to acquire. If you didn't grow up competing on a world level in a sport like trampolining, gymnastics, sports acrobatics, to develop the level you need for these things takes about as long as it would take to become a lawyer or a medical doctor. So yeah, there's that. But then at the same time, unlike a lot of other sports at the similar level of athletics, you don't become a millionaire typically by doing circus. So it's one of those things where your career isn't as short as you might expect, but it's usually not something that you're going to do for your entire life. And given how much time goes into developing these skills, a lot of times there is no backup plan. So that can be kind of a harsh reality to face when you decide you're done or don't decide you're done. Maybe an injury decides you're done. Last question, Scott, what do you tell someone who's afraid of injuries and that's the only thing keeping them from taking a circus class? You're probably not going to get injured in a class. Um, you know, the instructors are going to be very vigilant, especially if you are a beginner. And in my own personal experience, most injuries that happen in this world are from careless, random user errors rather than some crazy catastrophic thing. You know, when I tore my ankle, I fully severed two ligaments in it. I was jumping and doing a 360 turn in the air. I can do triple flips and things like that. It's fine. But oh, a jump full turn, like baby's first figure skating lesson. That was the end of my ankle. You know, uh, I fractured my skull when I was about 12 because my sock got caught on the springs of a trampoline. It wasn't I was I wasn't doing a flip or anything crazy like that. It was just random, stupid, silly mistakes. So if you're taking a class and you are just trying to get into circus, that's not going to happen to you. Like there's always a risk of injury. Driving a car, there's a probably sure. huge risk of injury compared to taking a circus class. Yeah. And in high school, I was voted most likely to be injured in a Cirque du Soleil audience. 
So, <laughs> well, I promise you, they take great lengths to avoid that. They do. I've been caught. Anyway, <laughs> hey, Scott McDonald, thank you so much for joining us today on CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks for having me. Great talking with you. And here's what else Las Vegas is talking about. So the giant empty blue eyesore known as the Fountain Blue will be empty no more. At least that's what the owners are telling us. They say December is when the 67-story resort will open, um, no specific date yet, after what seems like 150 years of squatting morosely on the Strip skyline. Did you know construction actually began in 2007? The company has opened an online jobs portal. So if you were wagering on who launches first, Fountain Blue or a high-speed train from L.A., the betting line just moved. Also, since local nonprofit Get Outdoors Nevada started organizing cleanups of Frenchman Mountain in 2016, the group says it's removed 15,000 pounds of trash, 6,000 pounds last year alone. The site is apparently big with illegal dumpers, people who shoot glassware, and other messy types. This announcement comes as a coalition of locals appear to be working towards getting the area declared as a national monument. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? And if that friend is Chris Angel, share the episode. Then rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our indispensable morning newsletter, Hey Las Vegas. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to let my fears go by the wayside.